0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Tiny Missile Podcast. This is the first in a series of story and interview-driven podcasts featuring indie game developers and fans alike. My name is Eric De La Rosa and I'm recording from the Windy City in Chicago, Illinois. Today we get the treat of talking to Luke Whitaker, head of an indie game studio from London called State of Play. State of Play is an award-winning indie game studio. They've won a number of international awards and Apple App Store awards for things like Best iPad Apps of 2010, and you may know them for their puzzle game Akami, which has been selected for the Mac App Store Best of 2013. Their apps have been known for their hand-crafted look and feel, which they are taking to an entirely new level with Lumino City. Lumino City is their latest game and was just released on Steam Play. And what made this game really stand out to me was not only the playfulness of the characters, but the environment itself was constructed entirely as a real set. Created with all sorts of techniques such as laser cutting, watercolor, and paper craft, it's really an amazing looking point-and-click adventure puzzle game. During my interview with Luke, we talk about how he first got into game development, the start of his studio, state of play, the process behind making a game like Lumino City and Loom, and what the future holds for the studio. I hope you enjoy this first interview from the Tiny Missile podcast. Let's jump right in. All right. So uh, if you'd like, uh, just, yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, game development.
1: So, well, I got into game development uh, pretty much straight away at at university. It was something that was taught on the course um, (laughs) using Flash. Um, It wasn't the only thing. Like, my course was... um, it was called new media production which is quite an old school term now but um that meant that we could do you know stuff like stuff for TV there was a time when they thought uh, it was it was all going to be interactive television and press the red button kind of stuff and uh yeah that would, that <laughs> died really quickly yeah um, thank god as soon as you you know as soon as you saw what you could do um online with flash games things like that um it was that was obviously the exciting thing um especially for me so um my final project it was actually a cd-rom project oh wow yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so um but it was at the time when you know everyone was getting broadband for the first time I, i was like wait a minute people could actually play this all over the world so um i just put it out on the web as soon as I graduated, just got some cheap server space, put it out there. And um it went like it went viral, you know, yeah. <laughs> back then. It was the way that it did Like people just emailed it to each other back then. There was no uh, Twitter or anything like that or, you know, it was just um yeah, people passing it around and it it did uh it well, it was really successful. I was going to say it did well, but as in it was viewed a load of times, but it didn't do too well for me because I went massively over my server limit and yeah. <laughs> I got a bill for like a thousand dollars. Well, yeah, so 500 pounds. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Yeah. Um, but what that did was put, put the work in front of lots of people. So, um, and it got me my first job,
0: really. So, oh, that's great. Where, where did you start working? Where did you start your uh, career?
1: I started work um, at a company. Called Prism E, which was a, a London-based company doing uh, doing flash games, and that was where they, were, you know, they they let us do everything. Really, it was at a time when there weren't really defined roles. Were you a programmer? Were you a games maker? Were you an artist? You know, that um, it hadn't really solidified. So that meant that I was doing the art and the coding and all that kind of thing. So I learned how to code then. You know, not especially well, but enough to make stuff happen. Uh, And then I realised, well, wait a minute, I could do this all myself now. You know, Um, so pretty soon after that, I went freelance, um, and it was a time when uh, the you know websites like MiniClip and things like that were really becoming successful. You know, thirty million users they had um, like constantly playing, and so that was great for a small. Uh, for small companies there were you know a few just a couple of people um, who were doing really well out of it and um, that was sort of the the start of the indie thing really I think yeah Um, and so yeah I I was doing freelance flash games uh, but I also do animation as well so that was that's really my history too like it's it's always it's always been linked with that so that that um, game I talked about uh, before my final project was called Breaking the Road, um, and it was all hand rotoscoped and it had you know screen print textures uh, that I used as backgrounds, and so I did a lot by hand. Oh, wow. um, and so I've never really seen them separate, do you know what I mean? Like, people, so, some people say, Oh, I see you come from an animation background, and uh, maybe I would have done like if, if I'd have been doing it 20 or 30 years ago, but no, it, they're all the same thing to me, so and the fact that I got my first job doing programming meant that, you know, I was doing animation at the same time as making it move and interactive and all that kind of
0: thing. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear, actually, with just hearing that, you know, you had sort of these handmade textures in, you know, your one of your first games, essentially, and how that sort of has carried on through through all these other new games that you've released recently.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's where everything starts. On. It starts on paper, and um, it's just the best way that I've found to get things down well first of all yeah the quickest best way to get things down and second of all it's the best way to communicate with other people because in the end the audience is closer to your idea if that makes sense it's um they can kind of see the intention more clearly than if if you're doing something just sitting in front of a screen trying to build something in 3d studio max um do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. you, yeah, you it, there's real, a lot of character sort of. that
1: comes through <laughs> immediately, just even if you make a mistake as well. You know, that's, that's all yeah. part of it.
0: <laughs> well, that's great. That's awesome. So going from that and, and sort of making these Flash games online for, uh, for the company, once you sort of figured out that you can do everything yourself, you can do your own animation coding, is that where State of Play sort of came to be, the studio?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, but it was that I realized that... I didn't want to do the coding and I wasn't really good enough to take it much further than being a one-man band with that um, there are much better people out there I knew that could could do that and I could concentrate on the art and that kind of and you know that side of things um, and so that's where state of play came about um, it was actually set up um, with my now wife uh, Catherine who like she she comes to the end of Uh, a job as well. And so we both were like, right, let's, let's do this. I wanted to get, you know, get bigger and have the potential for working with more people. Yeah. And so that was in 2008. We set that up.
0: Oh, cool. Um,
1: And it was about the time, you know, we, we were doing, we were still doing flash games at the beginning, but then of course the iPhone came about and, and flash games died a death really at least creatively they did they became to make money you had to it had to have a leaderboard it had to do all these things that would just keep the money dripping in for the for the client and that creatively became pretty unsatisfying whereas on ios suddenly it was like you could be you could be creative again and people would buy it and you know not only that it was it's it's a much nicer space to design for, if that makes sense. A much nicer medium because it's more self-contained. And now everyone's thinking about apps, you know, and everyone thinks of an app as a um, a thing worth buying. Hopefully, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's starting to get less and less. Maybe it's a little, just a little right. bit, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. maybe exactly. Maybe it's doing, you know, it's doing that thing of, um, you know, everyone. It happened with flash games and it's still, it's, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I don't, they're not exactly comparable, but, um, I think we're always going to go basically where the creative interest is.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is that, um, did you as state of play, like once that kind of came to be, did you guys jump into iOS before you started, um, creating for PC and, and Mac? Uh,
1: no, actually, but I mean, around about the same time, um, cause we use flash a lot. Okay. Um, flash was you know what we used for our flash games we realized well wait a minute we can also publish for pc relatively easy easily from that okay. so we could get on steam with uh, loom which was the first installment of this that uh, this huge game we've just made called lumino city right. um and yeah so that that was built in flash but then sold on steam and then um when they bought out Adobe Air, we realized, oh, wait a minute, we can get this on mobile as well. So it all kind of happened at about the same time. Um, and now, you know, we make things cross-platform all the time. Like we've made a game called Kami recently, which was on Steam and mobile, and you know. So yeah. it's the, yeah, it's the best way for us really to, to cross-platform. As a small developer, you can uh, maximize the amount of money you can make that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I always see it kind of interesting to see, you know, uh, some of the choices that people make when the games are on iOS versus PC. Like sometimes I think they might not translate all that well. But in your case, I think every game that I've seen come out from you know your studio, it's been a pretty pretty nice experience that you can sort of cater to each device, which is really nice.
1: One thing that's helped us is the return of the puzzle adventure, really. I mean that's it's not like yeah. we were waiting for it. We were waiting for it but we didn't know it. We we yeah. loved all those things when we were younger. And um they kind of died out after the nineties. And uh yeah, the the fact that tablets came about again, they suddenly like, oh, this is a nice um nice device to be playing them on, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and there's also people who have nostalgia for the old games as well. So market-wise, that helps. Um, so yeah, there is that there's that space on, on all devices for the games
0: th- that we want to make. Do you feel that it it's at all limiting in any way when you have to think about, you know, say this has to sort of work on an iPad, but also has to work on the PC? Or does it free you up a little bit on on, you know, controls and things like that?
1: Uh, it doesn't limit our ideas, uh, so much. Um, but it, it takes time to make sure that things work cross platform. That's the thing. That's what we're doing right now. We're working on the iOS version of Lumino city, for example. Um, so it's a technical process of working out. Okay. How do we, how do we make that happen? Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, let me think. If we were going to do something with multi-touch, we wouldn't try and make it for PC. The, the idea is what leads it first, and maybe we've been fortunate that you know they've just fitted both devices. Um, we initially made Kami a paper puzzle game, for example, mm-hmm. for, for just mobile devices. We weren't thinking of, of PC, really. Uh, and then we realized, wait a minute, this works just as well. Even though it's just a one-click thing, works just as well on a PC. Let's see if Steam are interested. And they were. So uh, that's how that got onto all devices. That's great. Yeah. So I'd like to say it's all planned, but <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned uh, Loom. Uh, th- this is sort of, you know, uh, a smaller version of Luminosity in a lot of ways. Um, how how much did that inform sort of what you were doing for Luminosity? Was it, was it the idea already that you had a grander plan for that world and for those characters, and so you just kind of wanted to do a test? Or, you know, was it sort of like there's something special here, and then did you build it out, or how did that go?
1: Um, we did have a larger story uh, in mind, um, and we knew that we couldn't make it. Like, I I tried uh, just with, like, packing cardboard, for example, to make a whole city, and to do that without knowing any of the technical uh barriers and stuff it was just it was too big a a thing to take on, so I thought okay well let's just let's tell the start of the story and um and if all goes well if it, you know if we can afford to make the next one we'll we'll do it then um but we wanted we didn't want it to um to be only part of something we wanted it to work as a little game in its own right um but we just set out to do just one one scene basically yeah. and uh it, don't, it didn't take too long i mean it took only about three or four months to pull together oh wow uh, yeah and we learned so much I, I don't even know what i've learned if you know what i mean it was all pretty int- um a pretty natural thing when you when you're working within a nice small scale like that then you can you, you get to know, okay, how does lighting work at that size? How does, it all, you know, all that kind of stuff you just sort of intuitively pick up. And so when it came to doing Lumino city, we could, it, it's a much uh, easier thing to, to, a, to attempt because you, you can, you can picture it in your mind. You know, we're actually, you know, we've made a 10 foot high model. Yeah. Uh, we all with laser cutting and miniature motors and lights and all that kind of stuff. And that's, it, that would, Intense work, but because we knew what we were doing a bit more, um, that helped. And also, we
0: spent three years on it. (laughs) (laughs) That had a little bit to do with it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, what's kind of interesting to me is that you know, as I remember as a kid, you know, we did have those puzzle adventure games, and those were really the only games that we could play where you know you had sort of this cartoon. It, it seemed like you were playing the cartoon, you know, you, you, going back to what you said almost about interactive TV is like, when I was a kid, I remember seeing cartoons and having discussions with my brother and saying, hey, like, I wish we could play this cartoon. I wish graphics in the game were just as cool as this cartoon. And I think just recently, we started seeing things like that, you know, as other games try to sort of go and strive towards more realism. Um, just last year, you know, like the South Park Stick of Truth, for example, that felt like it just felt like I was playing an episode of the actual show. And I feel like Lumino City is is sort of like that in a lot of ways, but takes it a step further. Like you're sort of exploring, you know, sort of this very dreamlike Michel Gondry sort of scenario. Um, and you're interacting with it in so many great ways. It's um how did you feel um or if you can maybe speak a little bit about how you see maybe you know, games and sort of film interacting with each other? Or or is that something that you guys actively think about? I
1: guess so. I mean, again, it was some. it's not like uh, we sat down with a man, manifesto or anything like this. Like, if you look at the progression of our games, you can trace it all the way back to, like, that first one that I was doing by hand. But mm-hmm. um, slowly and slowly, it sort of got more and more realistic. And when we realized we could film stuff, you know, at one point I was cheating it by... Doing drawings and then overlaying paper texture and trying to then make it look three dimensional and things like that. And I was like, Mm -hmm. no, actually, I could do. You know, just take a photograph of it, and it'll look, you know, so much better. And you get all, you know, get all your effects for free. So, um, but then again, it wasn't just a sort of technical thing. There is something when we was looking at that, we were like, wait, there's, there's somehow more uh what is it there's a very special quality and a warmth that comes out of doing things like this um so i suppose we have developed this this affinity for for this way of working and i think it's more like a sensibility i think we don't say we're not going to say to anyone that they should ever have ever make a a game like this um like the, the point in a way is to do your own thing and like do what feels right for you um, what we do know that we found out from it is that um, it is a wonderful way of of getting across feeling and ideas and exploring space and uh, making people feel like they, they're they part of a place. You know, I think that too many people think, okay, a game is a 3D engine thing. It's, you know, I have to make a game in this way. And then you're going get, to get very similar mm-hmm. games cropping up. Yeah. So, as much as possible, just think of new ways to do it. if you the important thing is the idea, and that's that's what drove us really. like if you can see it, work out a way to make it.
0: Yeah. So where did some of that um, inspiration come from for the actual you know city and the setting? Um, how did you guys sort of develop that story over the years?
1: it's 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 probably come over the years, you know, or like Michel Gondry films, for example, or like uh, all sorts <laughs> of stuff. Like we have an ongoing joke, me and my wife, that whenever we come back from our holiday photos, people ask to see pictures of where we've been and it's all of architecture and it's yeah. like nice nice buildings we've seen and things like that. And there's like, maybe you might see us right in the corner, tiny or something like that. But that, <laughs> like generally that's what we've been interested in. That's the kind of thing that catches our eye. And, uh, for Lumino City, I remember a moment where I, um, before we'd started, I went to an exhibition at the V&A Museum in London, and it was about um, uh, constructivism, so Russian architecture early in the 20th century, which, yeah. you, could, you know, you could, it, w- it was just something where I was like, oh, this is incredibly exciting. I haven't seen a lot of, a lot of this stuff. Wait, and but I recognize that. Oh, I've seen that before. And I, w- I just, um, I did the exhibition once, and I was in such a buzz that I went to the, um, I went to the shop and I was like, right, I've got to sketch something here. So I bought like the first uh, sketch pad I could buy, and then I had to buy a pencil. But they only had the pencils with like the fluffy little muppet on the top, and so I had to like <laughs> buy a bendy pencil and right, and raced around and did and just um, sketched everything as as fast as I could because yeah. I just, it, there was I know when you when you get those bursts of energy, you just got to run with it really. And I remember that as a as a kind of almost like the birth of the project, really? Oh, wow. um, and then that slowly, but you know, um, became you know got worked into those ideas. But you can, see, I can trace some of those sketches directly through to the final model. Um, and also, the other thing is that just that general interest in architecture has meant that um, I paid attention to architects <laughs> in a way, and um, we got, I was in. Uh, I was doing some sketches early on, uh, soon after the, I'd been to that exhibition, and I'd drawn an early version of the of the city. And I looked up. Uh, I was in a yeah, so in this cafe mm-hmm. uh, on the walls, uh, there was this work by an architecture graduate called Katrina Stewart. And um, you should go and check out her work if you go to katrina stewart dot com. Yeah, really? uh, yeah, she had these prints from her degree show and. It was basically the same image. It was like I was looking down at my sketchbook. Uh, and it's, it was a tower full of like um, renewable energy technologies and all like sun catches, rain catches, water wheel, all yeah. sorts of stuff. And literally like, yeah, hers was like a color version of what I was drawing. And so I, I thought, right, well, we've got to get in touch. And so, yeah, that I did. And it was, I mean, I'm so pleased that I did because she became an integral Part of the process, she she came on board and she worked with us for a while. She introduced us to laser cutting, for example. Oh wow! Um, yeah, because she used they use that a lot um, for making architecture models. You know, little, you know their little their little test pieces and things, and um, and the original loom we cut all by hand, and so the scale of it had to be large if that makes sense. So we had you know we couldn't go down to that finer detail. Yeah, uh, and we and what she helped us realize is is that oh we can use laser cutting to get this really fine detail and that increased the scope of what we can do we can now you know physically we needed the space to build this model and then yeah. suddenly suddenly we could but she she if you look at her um her designs as well and the colors and all that kind of thing like um a lot of architects are more than architects which is great and i think there should be more architects going into games because that's all about how you understand space, how, you, how you're going to walk through a space, um, what you're feeling when you're going through it, all that kind of stuff, which is a game, really. So it's what you
0: need. There's a couple of people here in Chicago that are making some games like that. Um, and and their sort of way of thinking about the space is always going back to like architectural books or, or reading a little bit about architectures and their sort of process of thinking. So that's interesting you mentioned that. I think everybody has
1: it in a way. I mean, everyone when they buy a house, they go in and they know whether it feels right. You know what they what they're after, or if they are you know looking to change their space in some way, they have a, a feel for it. And um, yeah, so it, that's fun, and that's what that's that was one of the it's one of our goals, I guess, when making Lumino City. It's it's about making that perfect experience or something that you you've. Uh, a space that makes you feel something
0: yeah yeah i could say you were successful in that so <laughs> oh. i mean that first intro was just something yeah it was great it was like one of the best intros i've seen it just sort of pulls you into that world right away and you're just like what is happening you know Yeah. Um, so so oh, it's that's really cool. great
1: because that was tricky because that was that's the all oh, that's the glue as well that, but that binds the two games together um You know, you have to, we wanted it to end at at the end of, sorry, we wanted to start at the end of Loom and we wanted to begin with, you know, with a fresh story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I had a load of fun designing that, but also I was like, can I pull this off? I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that makes you think of new ways to do stuff. And I don't, yeah, I like the fact that I hadn't seen something like that before and I, I wanted to play with it. Yeah.
0: Um, so what was what was the team like i mean you you mentioned uh Katrina Stewart coming in and yourself your your wife a part of the team who who else is sort of a part of uh creating
1: so we've got Dan here who is a developer um but he's also a really good games designer too uh he's from the same course that we uh that we did uh, and but he was he was a few years um a few years behind. Although behind makes it sound like he's behind, he's not. He's like way ahead of. um, You know, I think you know. We looked at his work straight away, and he was. um, He'd already launched an iOS game soon after it was even possible to launch an iOS game, Um, whilst he was still at university, and like uh, immediately he's better than a lot of people we'd worked with in the real world. Yeah, Um, and yeah, so we were like, well let's that you know that's the key to making bigger stuff really when you, you you know you team up you can do all this kind of thing and um yeah so he's he's involved we work with um uh various different artists and we, we had a fine artist who worked on lumino city did some of the details we had model makers who've worked with film so some of them are doing special effects on Marvel films and things like that oh, wow. uh, came in and, yeah, and brought a whole new kind of angle to it. Um, yeah, just, we've had probably a dozen people work on the game over the course of three years, but some have been in for a day and some have been in for three months, six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, a lot of the time uh, it was me and Dan working away. After we'd done all the filming and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it was me and Dan Oh yeah and with the filming we used um uh my friend Tom, who's a lighting cameraman he does a lot of b b c wildlife um things and he's but he's he's really good with what he does he he kind of he has that thing where he knows what he wants to achieve and can do it with just like a couple of lights and um that we even like some of it is just filmed in you know his front room uh, because he knows like how to how to make that look good we just close the curtains and we do a miniature lighting setup and stuff and there's no need to go and rent a, a huge studio for this yeah um you know, it allows us to be allows i think uh, allows us to get a better result because um because we can it gives us more freedom to play if you know what i mean when we're not looking at the clock going oh god yeah. <laughs> we've got four <laughs> people here all that all, all like charging yeah. hundreds of pounds a day so yeah
0: I mean, I I always hear sort of that people are talking about, you know, indie games keep kind of coming up in conversation more and more. And, you know, I've seen in a couple larger publications, they talk about, you know, 2015 is going to be the year of the indies. Um, In a lot of ways, I feel like it's been the year of the indies for a a little while now. Um, Because I feel like they're, you know, the smaller developers are sort of the ones bringing out the new little kind of neat ideas. Um, I always sort of relate it to you know, film in a lot of ways where you have sort of these really big blockbuster movies and then, you know, a lot of the interesting really character-driven, story-driven or just kind of weird stuff is always happening within, you know, smaller films. Um, but how how do you kind of see, you know, indies and in, in state of play, how do you, how do you see indies sort of fitting in within the video game ecosystem, you know, coming within the next couple of years?
1: Um, it's always so difficult to predict, like... None of us could have predicted what effect the iPad would have had, for example, and how that, um, and how iOS and mobile and Android and all that kind of thing freed up a lot of people to publish their own games. Um, so I mean, I don't see any anything that you know that disruptive, I suppose, I uh, like on the horizon, but. Um, there, there are more and more indies doing it, and so there are going to be more successes, and there'll be proportionally more failures as well. So, as much as any year is going to feel like, yeah, it's the year of indies, it's also the year of more indie failures. And yeah. um, we, you know, we all have to do that. We all, you know, not not everything you do is going to be a success, and mm-hmm. you just got to find a, a way of riding it. And indies are, you know, it's better because we don't have huge overheads um we can take risks that's why we exist and then you know you hope that we can you know weather the storm i know that like investors for example have come occasionally and been interested and like some came back in 2009 Mm -hmm. um when i've talked to people in the industry as well i've had i had the same thing about like they were all they were worried about the recession and things like that how's that going to affect because that Probably has a bigger effect on the larger companies, mm-hmm. um, but for us, it you know, with the rise of indie gaming happening at the same time, and the fact that you know we were slightly distanced from all that, but we didn't feel it so much. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling positive about things. I don't like there. There's so much creativity out there now, and more and more. And the fact that now, um, I don't know, people who who weren't into games before like the architects and all that kind of thing now know that's something that's possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I just really, yeah, I'm hopeful for that. I would love it if people came out of art college um, and went into games, like not necessarily doing a a games design course even, you know, like I I would have loved that to have been a thing back, back when I was doing it. Well, it was with my, with my, uh, with my degree, but, if I wanted to go to actual art college and be, um, you know, use it. What if I wanted to do sculpture in a game or something like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. literally, why not? <laughs> why? Why shouldn't we be able to do this? Um, like just to experiment with that kind of thing. I, I would love it if art colleges um, were were producing that kind of thing. And and I, th- and I think I think that's what's happening.
0: I think yeah, with, definitely with just the awareness of it, you know, I definitely see more and more people at least being sort of tangentially connected it to games in a little bit, you know, you know I see maybe maybe like a couple web designers that I've met, you know, they kind of like design and they like character design and they like kind of illustrating a bit and so they see what's possible on things like the iPad or even interactive books on the iPad, things like that. And and I think it sort of leads them to think about it in new ways and and how maybe they could get into games, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look at like things like Device six and eighty days and things like that. They're the writing in them is brilliant, and they're you know they're interactive stories. They you don't need there's no three D in those at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's gonna um, inspire yeah those kind of the people who want to do that kind of thing. Yeah. To get involved.
0: So what what sort of the I know you mentioned Luminos City. You guys are working on bringing that um, to iOS. And uh, what other sort of plans do you guys have for the future?
1: Well, we're going to continue cross-platforming Lumino City. um, And it really has just launched. So there's work to be done there just, you know, for the next year. That's not, you know, Lumino City will be there and we'll be uh, promoting it and adding to it with we've got a whole load of making of stuff as well we've been documenting the whole process so um yeah we want to we want to get all this stuff out there mate you know in a in a beautifully presented way um and so we're gonna yeah that's like the whole project in itself um but that'll be that'll be really exciting um and beyond that we have other ideas that are like small smaller games that we're probably not going to launch straight into another three year project mm-hmm. um just have a little bit of a break and 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 work on uh some of the smaller little things that have resulted from game jams and or other you know little tests um and see where things go but i you know you can't plan too much it's best if you know it like you don't if you have a five year business plan if we'd have had a five year business plan before the iPad came out for example, you'd just have to rip it up. Yeah. <laughs> so the best thing to do is be flexible and follow what follow the best thing.
0: Awesome. Well yeah. That's that's pretty much all I have. So I just want to say thanks again for for jumping on the call. Thanks so much for taking your time from your day. Um, I know you're a busy, busy person right now. Um, Oh, geez. No, you've caught me on a good day. So, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Pleasure. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much. Cool. Look forward to it. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much again, Luke.
1: Um, Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Good luck with it. See you. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to our very first interview here on the Tiny Missile Podcast. To learn more about State of Play, you can visit stateofplaygames.com. And if you want to keep up with the latest news from State of Play, you can also follow them on Twitter at state underscore of underscore play. For Tiny Missile, you can always check out all the latest news, events, and podcasts on tinymissile.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at tinymissile. We're always open to suggestions on people to interview and stories to look into for future episodes. So if you have any suggestions, please send us a line at info at or tweet at us, find us on Facebook, any way you can. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.